Welcome back to Starting Kyle Orton. Folks, it's Wednesday night, and you know what that means. It's Wednesday night. It is. It's Start Kyle Orton. Kyle, uh, we, we're not doing this on Tuesday night. We're doing it on Wednesday night. As well, I mean, before that, we were doing it on Thursday night. So I don't know if you, you can do the you know what that means, because we haven't really consistently established the same day. We're going to try to, though. Although, of course, next week we're going to go back to Thursday, because our, our goal is to try to like live record our reactions to this draft as it's happening. So that'll be hot. But most right. weeks... Most weeks, I think the goal is going to be Wednesday recording, just because once the season rolls around, uh, it's a non-football day, so that's the good day to record, because um, pretty much every other day is is football day. So this is yeah, true. But, yeah, no, welcome in, folks. Tonight uh, we've done our. We I think we've done enough lead up. We did the quarterbacks. We did the offense. We did the defense. We talked about this draft in general. This draft. As an idea, this draft is a concept, and now we're going to get to more practical matters. Uh, what should the Bears do in this draft? And I think Travis and I have a lot of thoughts about that, and I think it's safe to say um, they should take Darnell Wright. Right, Travis? I mean, that's... We're, we're good here? Are we done? Yeah. Do you, uh, do you want to want jump to right into it? Let's, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Darnell Wright... No matter what, write it down like Sonny Weaver Jr. and we'll uh, we'll roll. So that's good. But no, um, all right. So no, there is there is actually a lot to talk about. Darnell Wright's definitely going to come up um, along with some other guys. But uh, yeah, the Bears um, they enter this draft with some some needs because I mean, generally speaking, when you entered the draft originally with the first overall pick, you're you're a team that that has some needs. Um, and they didn't use that historic amount of cap room quite to the extent that we thought they would in free agency either. So there's there are still some some glaring holes, some less glaring holes, uh, and there are, you know, other places on the roster that maybe aren't glaring holes, but you, they could still stand to get better, and there's a lot of different routes they can go here. So, um, and that's actually going to get into the first thing I want to talk about tonight, because this is something that I have been hitting on for a while here. Um and we talked about this a little bit when we talked about the Bears sitting out the right tackle thing in free agency. Mm-hmm. Um, people really love to talk about general managing a football team, running a football team. They like to talk about how there are these, like, they act like there are these set laws that if you just follow these rules, everything's going to be fine. And if you just deviate from these rules, you're, you're doomed. And we talked about how one of those rules is you don't overpay in free agency. But one of the other rules is that you do not draft for need you draft the best player available and i just want to say uh that there's truth to that i think people are taking it a little too literally like there are bears fans right now um there are bears fans i've argued with bears fans i'm really good friends with bears fans and I, i even understand their logic to a certain point who will argue like if the best player on the board at nine is Jackson Smith and Jigba, you got to do it because it's short-sighted to reach for a need there. And if the best player is Christian Gonzalez as a cornerback, it's short-sighted to reach for a need there. you got to build your team right. You can't reach for a need. And so I want to say a couple things about drafting best player available versus drafting for need. For one, every team in the NFL, to some extent, drafts for need. 
I mean, they just do. When the Minnesota Vikings had Randy Moss and Chris Carter, they were not out here spending their first-round picks on wide receivers if that was the best guy on the board. Because there comes a certain point where, if you're if you're the Cincinnati Bengals this year, you're not spending that first-round pick on a wide receiver, even if it's the best guy in your... Because you've got T. Higgins, you've got Jamar Chase, you've got Tyler Board or Tyler Boyd, and you have other you have other serious needs, and everyone agrees it's not the best use of your resources to draft wide receiver there. So the Bears, I think, are, are they're going to have to consider needs with this pick. I think they consider could consider one of their two main needs, but I do think they have to consider need here with this first round pick. And I also think another thing people need to realize is that like best player available is is not a science. A lot of times the guy you think is the best player available three years down the road, we're going to look back and like, man, can you believe that guy was supposed to be great? We don't, we don't, the truth of the matter is to, I mean, to quote Brad Pitt as Billy Bean in the Moneyball movie, you don't have a crystal ball here, man. You wow. sit, you sat there at those tables and you say, I know, but you don't, you don't know. And the truth is none of us really know what these guys' careers are going to be like three years from now. And so to speak of anything as a reach or to speak of anything as best player available, unless they're, we're literally talking about a guy that is ranked 50 or 60 on most consensus boards. I, actually, the Jackson Smith and Jigba was the perfect example. I've had a lot of people argue with me that like this is the best wide receiver in the draft, clearly a better player than some of these offensive tackles that we might consider – you know, if he's there, they got to take him. You can't just reach for tackle because you need that more. But if you go to, like, the athletic big board, which the athletic big board isn't just date the athletics draft big board. It's a consensus big board. They, they try to aggregate all of the big boards and all of the mocks from all publicly available places and rank where guys are going. At that point in time, last time I looked, Jackson Smith and Jigbo was actually behind Paris Johnson Jr., one of the guys that we are probably going to talk about here in a little bit on that consensus big board. So, I mean, nobody even agrees on who the best player available here is. So I think the Bears, they do need to consider positional value. They do need to consider positional need. And at, at, at the ninth pick, if you stay at the ninth pick, you're going to get a good player at, near the top of your board at any of these positions that you choose. So I don't think it's automatically a GM fail to consider your team needs first and foremost. So I've gone on there a little bit. Travis, what are you going to say there? I'm impressed. You you were just like, God damn it, I got a five-minute take, and I'm going to throw it out there. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think um, kind of to piggyback off what you're saying, I think when people think of best player available now, they are taking it so literally based on the text, and it's not what people meant. Like, guys, if, if we're drafting ninth and we draft the 11th best player in the ninth pick, that's not a reach. That's not a failure to take the best player available. That's taking the best player available within the needs that you have, right? It's not right. a reach to take a guy who is in a the same tier as another player. Like yeah, Jackson Smith and Jigba is in the same tier as some of these tackles. It's not a reach to take one or the other. Yeah, I think that's... And then, yeah, it's, it's kind of ignorant of how teams really set their draft boards. Most teams don't really do a straight numeric ranking. Like, this guy sure. is our sixth-ranked prospect. This guy because why would you? No, you, you you do exactly what you said. You do tiers. There, there's a group of guys that you have a top 10 grade on. There's a group of guys that you have a top 20 grade on. There's a group of guys that you have just a generic first-round 
grade on. And then within that, you're going to sort those guys by your needs. And and, and best player available is also dependent uh, on what your scheme is. And does this guy fit the scheme? There are times where mm-hmm. a guy, you know, the Bears might, the best player on the board at a certain position to, to most draft Knicks, because draft Knicks don't really, I mean, most draft people aren't considering scheme when they're doing this kind of thing. They're really, they're just raw, they're, they're, they're raw dog in their prospect list here. They're just, they're just ranking guys in totally neutral situations here. Um, mm. But if the best player, for example, on the board when the Bears pick at some point is a 400 pound defensive tackle, I mean, that's nose guard type guy that's for a 3 4 defense. That's not that's a guy that's not even going to be on the Bears board. It doesn't mean he's not a good football mm. player, but he's not the right fit for them in any way. So I, I feel like people have really taken this far too literally. Um, and, and also, like I, I feel like another place where BPA versus need comes up, it tends to be in the later rounds. I do agree that in, sometimes in the second, third, fourth round, you can really screw up if you're reaching for an obvious need position sure. versus just taking the best player available. But we're talking about the ninth overall pick. Like the example a lot of people give up or bring up a couple years ago um, when the Bears took Cole Komet in the second round because they really needed a tight end in what was considered a really weak tight end class. There were other good players on the like Anton Winfield. Antoine Winfield Jr. was a guy they passed on who probably would have been, you know, what you would consider the BPA at that position. And that was a mistake because, you know, at, at pick 50, it's at some positions it really is slim pickings already. And at some cases there, you really are just better than like, you know what, we got to get a good football player here. It, it doesn't it do us any good to reach for a tight end who probably shouldn't go before round four just because we need a tight end and he's, he's the highest ranking tight end left. So I, there are times it matters, but this is not a situation where, um, you know, you're reaching for a, a guy who doesn't belong in the first round at all over a guy who does. We're talking, you know, I, I, most places I've seen the, the tackles that we're going to talk about, the three tackles that we're really going to talk about, I see them consistently ranked 15, 16, 17 at worst on these boards. Three tackles? I, I've got five. You're only going to talk about three of them? Well, we can talk about more. That's fine. Yeah, no, but... um. So yeah, the, the best player available versus need is the, the one thing we wanted to establish here. I feel like, uh, I, to me, and I'll be honest, to, some, to me some of it I really think is that people covering the draft, and there's so much draft season. I mean, we've been at it for a month. Other people have been mm-hmm. at it longer than that. I really do think looking at the Bears and saying, yeah, they should take an offensive tackle because have you seen their offensive line? I think some people just get bored. They get bored of that sure. obviousness. That's and it, it's not sexy. It's not super fun. Always to break down offensive line tape. It's much more fun to look at Jackson Smith and Jigba highlights, um, and so you can really end up galaxy braining yourself out of that. But yeah, I mean, look at the mock drafts that we've seen over the last like three weeks. How many different players have we seen go at number one? How many different players have we seen go at number two? Very little has changed, you know. And we just yeah. want to change it because we need people to click on our articles, you know. Absolutely, yeah. They're they're and they're you know, and who knows where, like Bijan Robinson, for example, sure is now. There's all kind. He's being mocked in the top ten, and so like maybe that's going to happen. Maybe it's not. I think a lot of people. It's just a. It's really good content to talk about that that top ten running back pick, and and nowadays. So, um, but yeah, I think spoiler alert. We're going to get into the, these guys specifically here in a little bit. But you've already probably picked up through this conversation that the first 10 minutes like we obviously think the bears should be inclined to take an offensive tackle mm-hmm. with that first round pick we clearly um but i will say for me at least 
there is exactly one scenario in which my first preference for the Bears' first pick is not an offensive tackle. All right. So I think there there is the, a slim possibility of this. I still don't believe he's going to be there, even with all the extracurriculars he's had happen since the season ended. But there 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 is been enough discussion that Jalen Carter at nine, falling to nine, sliding to nine, is a remote possibility. And, and I will say, I do think that guy is one of the like legitimate two, maybe three, non-quarterback, possibly like scheme-changing players def- available in this draft. And he fits the Bears' second best, biggest need, which we can agree. You know, there's offensive tackle. Well, and and, and and I guess it's not even that you could argue it's the Bears' biggest need. I think you and I are both inclined to say that it might be as a team their biggest need, but personally, we'd rather see them fill the offensive tackle need because our goal we don't we we kind of agree the most important thing for the 2023 Bears isn't to make the playoffs. It is t- to ensure Justin Fields' continued development so that they can make a final decision on this guy as to whether he is or is not the franchise quarterback. So on our board, the number one need is that that offensive line, but. There's exactly one scenario for me where I'm okay with that first pick not being an offensive tackle, and if it is if Jalen Carter's there at nine. If Jalen Carter falls to pick nine, I, you got to pull that trigger and then figure out offensive tackle later. I, I agree. That's a case where I do think the best player available is is clear, and it is still a need. It's still completely defensible as a need uh, for your team. So that's my one scenario. What about you? If Jalen Carter's there at nine, are you doing it? Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't even really want to entertain the idea because I know that if he even gets to pick six, we're screwed because he's going to the Lions, and I'm, like, in hell, in I'm my own sure personal gonna, hell. I'm, I've just been bracing for that for, like, a month, and I'm not looking forward to it. Hutchinson yeah. with Carter next to him just sounds real fucking shitty, man. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a big yeah. fan of that. So, so really, dude. Bears fans, what you want to do is pray that Pete Carroll will take him at five yeah. uh, and just be done with it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I think we're going to talk a lot tonight about what we think Ryan Poles is going to do. We feel like we have a pretty good read on what he wants to do, but it's really going to be solidified in this draft. And the way that he has gone about this free agency period does tell me that he's not thinking this is the year or anything. He's thinking, no, he's... I still have holes to fill. I can't fill them all in free agency in the draft. We're going to take the best guys for the holes we still have, right? And if Jalen Carter was there... I think you could absolutely take him. My problem with that, as we're going to get into, is I have watched a lot of offensive lineman tape, and I see five good tackles, and then I see a steep drop-off. It's uh, steep. It is And deep. I, I don't a, trust anybody else more than I trust Larry Borum, which is it a is problem. A, it is a crevasse, yeah. Yes. Um, a crevasse. Uh, yeah. So... Okay, so, so if Carter's there at nine, though, you'd take him, though, right? That, absolutely. That, yeah. Okay, so the other interesting scenario I've heard, I have heard is that if Carter is there at nine, teams will try to trade up yep. with the Bears to take them him to take him themselves. We have a bit of a conflicting rumor that we thought it was going to be the only way the Bears wouldn't trade nine to the Steelers is if Carter was if there. Carter was there. Yeah. But now we're hearing maybe it's the other way around. If he's there, then the Steelers yeah, want to trade. Funny. Uh, so Peter King was 
reported the the Steelers wanted to trade up from 17 to 9 mm-hmm. for Jalen Carter if he was there. Now, I had heard a couple weeks before that that the Bears and the Steelers were discussing a 17 to 9 trade along with some other stuff. Um, but what I had heard is that the Steelers were themselves targeting an offensive tackle and wanted to right. make sure that they got they got their top guy um, on their board. So, and I had heard that the Bears were open to it unless Carter was there. So, if the trade is specifically for Carter, um, I guess that's my question: is what uh, if if Carter's there and and the Steelers are making an offer? How sweet does that offer need to be for you to give up Jalen Carter? Well, I mean, as much as you are loath to uh, give up yet another character guy to the Steelers that we are passing on, uh, I I think this would give us our clearest picture on what Poles thinks of the team yet, right? Because you're right, if Carter's there, I think at that point what the Steelers are doing is they're giving us 17 and 32 and maybe something else, and we're not even giving anything back. Right, yeah. So the framework of the deal that I first heard... Um, the framework of the deal that I first heard, and this was reported on Windy City Gridiron um, too, was in the scenario where it was originally the Steelers trading up for an offensive tackle, not Jalen Carter, was that the Steelers would give up pick 17 and pick 32, so the Bears would get their second-round pick they gave up for Claypool back. Mm-hmm. Steelers would give up 17, 32, and then their third-round pick, which is pick 80, and the Bears would give them 9 and pick 53. So basically... It would be a one and a two for a one and a two, but the Bears would would move back eight spots in the first round at the at in order to upgrade their their first second round pick by twenty twenty one spots, and then on top of that they'd net an extra third, which to me is a pretty sweet deal, uh, and it's a deal I'd make um, if it's just for an offensive tackle. I, yeah. I do think if Jalen Carter, this premium player, is on the board at nine. Um, we're not pick swapping anymore. No. You're, yeah, you're giving me at least you're giving me thirty. You're just giving me thirty two straight up, and I think I'd want eighty two. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, yeah, you're giving me. Yeah, you want Jalen Carter? That's fine. It's going to cost you thirty two, mm-hmm. and it's going to cost you eighty, and then that would give the Bears, you know, seventeen thirty two. Uh, I mean, I will say this: it makes a little more sense when we were talking about the rumor about them trying to trade up to get a tackle and us going back to seventeen. The only thing that I could think is, well. If the Bears are going to make that deal, it's because they think a tackle that they like is going to be there. Why would the Steelers trade up for that? So if they really are actually thinking, all right, we'll do it if Jalen Carter is there, that makes a whole lot more sense to me. Yeah. So, but anyways, let's let's uh, let's move out of the Jalen Carter world. I know you didn't want to spend too much time on it because you're refusing to believe it's possible. I, I just don't think he gets out I of the top five. I don't want to make you swim in, in the sea of hope. Um, I know it's not where either of us is really most comfortable. Sure. Um, we like to, at best, steep ourselves in the puddle of pragmatic optimism. Um, sure. I love yeah. steeping. Yeah. So anyways, uh, let's say Carter's off the board. The Bears are at nine. Um, what's your hope then? Are you hoping to take somebody at nine? Are you still hoping... To trade back? What's what's your preferred outcome at nine with Jalen Carter off the board? Well, there are definitely two scenarios here, right? It's either we're we're staying at nine and our next pick is fifty three, or we're trading back and we're getting a high second rounder and whatever pick in the teens that we're gonna get. Um, if we're staying at nine and our next pick is fifty three, it has to be a tackle. It just has to be. 
Uh, just it's within the range of these tackles. I don't think it's a reach to take three of them at least. Um, and uh, I just think, yeah, it's such a glaring need. I mean, the other guy you could say, obviously, you know, I like Kalaja Kansi a lot, but nine's a bit too high nine for him. I bit, think nine is a bit rich for him. Yeah. But yeah, I no, think I, you could you could trade back and maybe still get him at that point, but you could say the same for the tackle. So to me, ideal scenario, we trade back a little bit more and get another high second round pick in that trade. So this Steelers deal, it seems a little too good to be true. It might be. There's a lot of smoke behind it, but that's definitely the ideal scenario is get like a yeah. mid-round pick and a late first round pick. 17 and 32 would be really good because at 17 and 32, I could see a couple different things mm-hmm. being real. Realistic. At at seventeen, um, if Jackson Smith and Jigba is there at seventeen and polls and I've heard polls really loves him. Um, he does have he's not got that great speed like we talked about, but he has that he he is a great athlete in terms of agility, in terms of separation, in terms of, of getting open. Uh, he has rapport with Fields. I could I could totally see them wanting to add him as a weapon. Um, and if he's there at nine, I I can't like I said I can't condone it just because. Like we we'll talk about it. We keep talking about it. That nine to fifty three is such a huge gap, um, and I think there are some good offensive tackles in this draft, just like you. Uh, but I think all of those, all of the ones I would be comfortable starting are gone by fifty three. I one hundred percent feel yep. that. Absolutely. Um, so if 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 you took JSN at nine and left the right tackle situation to fifty three, I would feel sick to my stomach. Um, and but I, if I you traded back to, to, and got seventeen and thirty two. I could do it at 17 because I think at 32, one of those four or five guys that I'm comfortable with tackle at, at offensive tackle will still be there. Maybe you're looking more at like an Anton Harrison um, or a Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse. Um, but I could, I could do, I could deal with that. Or at 17 and 32, I think we would both be okay uh, if at 17 that was where you did take Kalijah Cansey. And again, at yep. 32. That's where you would hope to land, like a Harrison or a Bergeron. That second tier of tackles is still okay with me. I just I don't necessarily even agree that there is a third tier of offensive tackle. Like it goes from yes, there there are there, and we'll just say them right here. There are so there's there's Peter Skaronsky, um, which neither of us have ever really considered, and it's not anything against Skaronsky himself. It is about Ryan Poles and and the the fact that this man. Uh, if anything, is very rigid and very disciplined and sticks to his guidelines, his thresholds, his valuations. We know this about him. If we know anything about him, we know that. And we know that they have cited repeatedly length and and, and physical attributes. These metrics are very important to them when they're looking at an offensive tackle. And if you know anything about Peter Skaronsky, if you've been covering the draft very closely, you have heard this man has tiny T-Rex arms. They're very small. He, there are serious concerns about his ability to kick in. And so I've heard that, I mean, uh, that he, most teams in the top that are picking in the top ten in this draft view him most likely as a future guard. Yep. Yep. I and, mean, there's a lot of smoke that, that teams are totally comfortable drafting him as the first offensive lineman off the I board mean, I think he's and putting be, him at guard. I think wherever he ultimately settles on the line, he's going to be very good. Yep. I just think there's a very good chance where he ultimately settles as a guard. Um, so I, we're not really going to talk about Skaronsky just because... I mean, and, and to be fair, if if the pick happened to be Skaronsky, 
I'm not mad about it. I do think, you know, you try him at tackle. I think he could probably be average there. Um, and then ultimately maybe down the road next year if you find a more permanent tackle option, he ends up being, you know, your left guard. Um, I wouldn't be as excited about it as I would be about some other guys that I think have a long-term future at tackle. But um, I, I think Skaronsky is going to be a good player, I do. But, yeah, we're not going to talk a lot about him just because neither one of us realistically thinks he is on Ryan Pohl's board, at least not as a tackle. Yeah, I so, think, like, Skaronsky, I think if that's the pick, then what it really is is it's Pohl saying that he doesn't think Tevin Jenkins is going to last either. He thinks he's going to break. You know, he doesn't yeah, trust would, that he's going to stand up, and he's got a guy who might play left tackle or right tackle for a bit, but he's thinking he's going to slide into that guard spot for Tev when he gets yeah, hurt. Yeah, that's exactly what, I would say if they took Skaronsky, I would bet what they're thinking is, well... Maybe we can get by with this guy at one of the tackle spots for a year. Mm -hmm. And then we move on from Tev, and he becomes our left guard, and we use one of our two first-round picks next year to find our tackle of the future. And then you 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 think you have an offensive line with some young building blocks there. Um, So, yeah, that's the only way I could really rationalize it. But, yeah, I don't think either one of us thinks Skaronsky is realistically going to be the pick, which is hilarious. The man's being mocked to them constantly in every mock and I think it's entirely because he goes to Northwestern I really don't think he'd be mocked to them in every single mock draft if the, if he went to UCLA I, I think it's the Northwestern tie and I think it's that local Bears media has a strong relationship with Northwestern and pushes that stuff too um, but I don't think that's going to happen so I think the the tackles that we do consider at nine or wherever they make this first pick the tackles that we would hope would be available, I guess, and then I would hope they would then consider in this order. Uh, I think for both of us, number one is Darnell Wright mm-hmm. from Tennessee. Um, bigger than the other dudes that we're going to name, uh, which initially is why I thought, oh, maybe Poles doesn't like him because they tend to like their offensive linemen a little leaner. But he tested like insane at the combine and everything he has that you know we talk about relative athletic score a lot on here because polls i mean he drafts athletes we talked about we talked about ras because polls talks about ras yeah yes and and darnell blew it out of the water precisely because he did all this cool athletic stuff while being a bigger guy so in that situation the fact that he is just as athletic as these other guys but bigger is a plus and that shows up in his game, he in pass protection, he's got a very sturdy base. He stymies guys, um, and to me, he is the most pro-ready pass protector of these guys. He's a guy that I think you put in at right tackle your first day of, of training camp, and you set it and forget it. And ten years later, I think there's a good chance he's still there. So, um, yeah, I think you. So each of these guys, you already talked about Skaronsky, but each of these linemen, they they have all these incredible strengths. Like you said, I think there are four like top tier linemen here, and they all have these one like little weird niggling issue with them, right? And Skaronsky, it's the small arms, you know. And and look, you and me, uh, we've dealt we've dealt with tackles who actually maybe need to play guard enough. I think I would like to have a tackle, but that's really Skaronsky's only weakness, right? He's great in every other facet of the game. Darnell Wright, I this dude is from what I have seen, the perfect pass protector. He's a great run blocker. I've heard some things, some places say that he may never be a great zone run scheme blocker, but it's not like he's shown that at this well, point. I would say, I will say this. I was a little surprised by how good his relative athletic score was because when I watched him, um, 
I, I think he's a good, he's a solid run blocker when it's, you know, when it's a basic gap or something like that. I, mm-hmm. He did seem like he, he didn't kick out as fast to me on those pulls and those outside zone plays as a, as a guy who tested as well athletically um, did. But also, I think he lost a little bit of weight for the combine, and maybe he's going to play at that lighter weight in the NFL move a little faster. It's not yeah. to me. I don't think he's I don't think he's awful at it. It's not something that would make me second guess for even a second, even though the Bears offensive scheme does require a lot of that outside zone. I don't think he's a liability there. He just may not be as much of a positive as some of these other guys we're about to talk about uh, yeah. already are in that. But for me the fact that he is so advanced and so refined as a pass protector already more than makes up for it. Like yeah. if, if they're taking a tackle, I, I really hope he's the one on the board and I really hope he's the one that he that they take. And I mean, we we talked about it a bit on the last pod um, about his matchup with Will Anderson this last year, and he yeah. he tre- the, I mean, you know Will Anderson. I said some stuff about him. I put him down below Nolan Smith, partially because of this matchup. But I kept Will Anderson. I still think he's a top ten pick, and oh, yeah. Darnell Wright is just that good. He completely deleted him off the map. His pass protection. He had a plan. He executed on it. He's so strong. He has so much functional strength. He is always in the right spot. It feels like he magnetizes guys to him, yeah. and they just don't get off of him I once mean, he, he gets he, a hold of them. He played a lot. I mean, a lot of good pass rushers. That he so, played. all right, Kyle. So, I mean, you didn't bring it up. We got to talk about it. The thing people are devaluing Darnell for is because he's going to be at right tackle. Now, he may be right. a Pro Bowl right tackle as a rookie. It is very possible, but he is a right tackle. Is that worth less to you than a left tackle? I really don't. I mean, and the more that we do the analytics, um, the more we see that the, the left-right tackle difference is extremely overblown. Um, and to me, I've always thought that you want a really good right tackle because of the conventional thinking that the left tackle is the best tackle. A lot of teams put their best pass rusher over the right tackle mm-hmm. to take advantage of the easier matchup. That's right. So, and, and here's my galaxy brain take. Poles knowing that left tackles, even though they're analytically, they're really not less important than left tackles, but they're still getting paid way less than left tackles. Poles Poles is thinking, let's take a super right tackle then, and when it comes time to pay this guy, we don't have to pay him that huge left tackle salary. I don't know that he's actually doing that. I just think it'd be hilarious if that was, but like if he was playing... If he was playing that level of 12 well, chess, yeah. Well, let's look at the free agency. Let's look at what he did, right? He went for the places where everybody else isn't spending their money, and he got the deals on the right. premium players in those positions, right? So you have to think, why not get the right tackle who's going to make way less money than a left tackle, even though he's doing the same job, and he's just as valuable on that side as he is on the left. But, yeah, I... 100% do not think the left right, the left tackle, right tackle thing matters. And to be fair, he does have experience at left tackle. Now, granted, he was worse at left tackle than he was at right tackle mm-hmm. this year. Um, but I don't know how much of that was the switch from left to right tackle versus how much of that was just a guy getting experience as he goes along. Um, but yeah, no, I, Darnell Wright is the guy that, best case scenario, they trade down from 9 to 17 and he's there at 17. Mm-hmm. Um medium case scenario is polls were as worried this guy's not going to be there in a trade down and he just stays there and takes him at nine and if that's the case i'm not mad about it at all i yep. you know and that's another thing where you know some people will probably call that a reach because he's the 15th or 16th best ranked guy but to me that's perfectly defensible pick that's offensive tackle number one in my books it's a guy that that's a 10-year starter for you set it forget it 
Yeah, you just you have to ask like like what are you going to regret looking back? Are you really going to regret a guy who like like you said? I mean, I would give it like an eighty percent chance that this guy is just going to be like what a six-time Pro Bowler at his career or something like that at the minimum at right tackle. He's so good. Are you going to be upset you took that guy? Ever? Well, and and we talk about polls and the value he places on analytics, and he stresses it every time he talks. Um, and and we there was a. A very funny thing that happened last week. So the Bears released a little short video of their draft prep and everything. And there was a uh, polls was talking, and there was a little board near him that uh-huh. was talking about analytics and A score. And it was just a, it was a cylinder with a Bears logo on it that just said yeah. analytics. And there were a lot of jokes about the Bears analytics cylinder. If you guys are if any of you are our age and grew up watching Comedy Central over your summer breaks, and you ever watched the uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade, the bucket of truth. I was comparing that to the to the Bears analytics cylinder. Like, what is that? Oh, it's just a it's just a regular cylinder. Only if you look inside, you will see complete, unmitigated, unadulterated truth. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. we know polls values the analytics, and one thing is that the analytics say about taking offensive tackles specifically in the first round. Um, if you take a first round offensive tackle, they've very rarely bust. Most of them become quality starters at least. And also, uh, if you want to find an impact one, if you want to find a Pro Bowl one, um, the study shows that the hit rate for that position outside of the first round falls off dramatically. You are four times as likely to find a, a Pro Bowl caliber offensive tackle in round one as you are versus round two and obviously each subsequent round after that it gets even longer odds and that's the worst among basically any position but quarterback i mean wide receiver a lot of people talk about wide receiver being a premium position now and you got to draft wide receiver high and there are a lot of really good highly drafted wide receivers and yet at the same time there are still a lot of great second round wide receivers if you want a good offensive tackle if you want and i mean i know people are like well braxton jones smith round yeah whatever okay um, first of all, we still don't know that Braxton Jones is that good. I think he ended the year at pretty average, yep. which is good for him. And I think we all agree that average is a hell of an outcome for a fifth-round tackle out of Southern Utah or whatever it was. But, again, if you're aiming for like a, like a, a good one, a 10-year quality, second-contract quality starter tackle, history says you want to take those guys in the first round, but if you do, there's a good chance you've found one. Um, and so for me, if, if polls is, and I think polls is also looking at this as I've been here two years. This is my act, but this is my first first round pick. This roster has so many holes. I I can't afford to swing for the fences on this one. I need a solid contact. I need a double. I have to. We just have to get good players in here. And, and I think my best bet at a good player is a guy like Darnell Wright. So ideally, like I said, you trade back to fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. You still get him. But if, if if he's the guy you're targeting and you, you, you bulk and you stay at nine and take him, I don't care who calls it a reach, I'm good with it. Yeah, yeah, you invoked Braxton Jones, so why don't we talk about the guys who would move him to right tackle. I'm assuming the next guy on your list is Paris Johnson Jr. Yes, so for me, number two, number two out of my tackle list is definitely Paris Johnson Jr. from Ohio State. Um, and the thing I love about Paris Johnson... Uh, I don't think he's as raw of a pass protector as another guy on the list we're going to talk about a little bit. Um, because Ohio State does run a lot of actual true, what they call, what, what, what you call true pass sets. So this is something that 
pro football focus especially tracks, but scouts also track it, where true pass sets are how many times is your team just straight drop back and pass? Like, and, and, and those, are, those are good to measure because that's the hardest thing, obviously, for an offensive tackle to actually do is drop straight back, drop a pass rusher when the defense knows it's a pass, when there's no play action, no misdirection, no screen, the ball's not coming out in .5 seconds. It's just a straight drop back read the field pass you got to block your guy for 2.5 3.5 seconds um ohio state runs a lot more of those than georgia so broderick jones who we're going to talk about here in a little bit also a guy with very similar physical tools to paris johnson some people even think he has better physical tools um but paris johnson here to me is less raw in in that kind of nfl drop back pass blocking style than Broderick Jones. He also is the highest graded of these guys when it comes to blocking those outside zone runs, which, as we said, is a huge part of the Bears' offense. Um, he is more raw as a pass protector than Darnell Wright. He's only been played one season at left tackle. Before that, he was at guard. Uh, although I kind of like that he has that versatility. Um, I like that he's already moved positions once. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and, and, and the other thing I like about Paris Johnson is long, long-ass arms, super long He's the anti Skaronsky. He could he could do that thing, you know, that you do to your little brother, where he just like holds his hand out and the guy can't punch you. He just he could do that to Skaronsky if they went head to head with his giant pterodactyl wingspan arms. Um, and I think long arms aren't a given that you're going to be very good, but he has like historically long arms, and I do think it gives you kind of a fallback. It, it gives you a little bit more margin for error on the offensive line because you can jab a guy and buy yourself a little bit of time that you don't necessarily have if you've got to be, you know, a guy like Skaronsky has to be absolutely perfect with his first move or he lose the he can lose the rep. Um, Paris Johnson has the tools so that he can lose the initial first step and still win the rep. Um, so, yeah, Paris Johnson Jr. And, and Paris Johnson Jr. wouldn't be surprising me even if the Bears possibly did have him ahead of Darnell, right? Just because I do think his versatility, his overall physical tools um, – and his fit for that outside zone blocking scheme uh, is is perfect. So Paris Johnson Jr. is a guy that, again, would love him best in a trade down into the 15-16 range, but another guy I'm not mad about if you take him at 9. Uh, if that's what you just got to do, that's what you got to do. So yeah, Paris Johnson is definitely my number 2. Is he your number 2 out of this list too? Yep, Paris would definitely be my number 2. Uh, I'm glad you talked about <laughs> long arms. Sometimes you get these guys and you measure their arms and they're like, "Wow, look at how long his arms are." And then we talk about how long their arms are, but when you look at them on tape, you couldn't really tell. You know they don't really use them effectively. Yeah. Paris knows he has an advantage with those arms. He uses them on every pass protection snap. He he also routinely bends his spine as much as he can. He keeps them guys out of his face, keeps them at arm's length. Um, and it's just, it seems endlessly frustrating. Almost like you said, like it would be if he was holding his little brother and they're just flailing their arms sadly. They can't get into him. You know, he just keeps them away with those arms. So that's one, I could see that as a good thing. The reason I have him below Darnell Wright, and it's a tiny little (coughs) difference, this is a, a a little nitpick, is he uses those arms on pretty much every play. Uh, and like you said, he played a lot of guard. He's mentioned that he's totally happy playing guard in the NFL if somebody wants him to. Um, and I wonder if he's a bit too reliant on it. Now, his upside, 
uh, you had mentioned this to me when we were chatting about a week ago, is a guy like Debrickashaw Ferguson, someone who used those arms yes, so sir. well throughout his career. Just a Absolutely. fantastic player at using all of his talents. And I do think that's his upside, uh, which is an incredible upside. But there's an injury risk there that concerns me. I don't think he's as filled out as Debrickashaw is. Uh, he He's going to need to gain a little bit of weight. He's going to need to muscle up a little bit. I think he can do that. I would be totally happy with the Bears taking him, but he is not the man beast that Darnell Wright is. And when you're a little too reliant on one trick as an offensive lineman and you're going up against these stud defensive linemen, he is going to have to reach into that bag more than he has in college. And I'm sure he'll be okay, but there is a risk there that he may not quite be as polished as you want. Yeah. Um so the the next guy on my list, and this is where I, I mostly view these guys all as, yeah, I'd be happy if they get any one of them. Um, and it's true, I would, I think, be happy if they get any one of them. Broderick Jones is the first one of these guys that, like, if they stayed at nine and they made this pick and he was the one they picked out of that group, I would be a little questioning. I'd be like, why yep. was that the one that you went with? Because to me, if you stay at nine and you want the surest thing, you take Darnell Wright. If you stay at nine and you want the guy with the best overall physical attributes, um, the best blend, I should say, of physical attributes and not quite so raw uh, is PJJ. Those are both guys I feel very comfortable with as top ten tackles. Uh, Broderick Jones, to me, absolutely a first-rounder. Um, got all the physical tools, again, uh, that you would want. Got the great athleticism. To me, though, easily the most raw the, mm-hmm. and unrefined of these guys when it comes to pass protection. And it's because Georgia um, Georgia obviously didn't run it exactly the same as the Bears did because uh, they, they have uh, what are called good football players. Um, but they kind of ran a similar when they did pass. They they did a lot like the twenty like Luke Getzey did with the Bears this year. The passes very often were play action, bootleg, moving pockets, misdirections, screens. They did a lot to avoid those true pass sets that we just talked about. There were not a lot of reps where Broderick Jones was just straight up asked to backpedal and block a pass rusher who was trying to his pin in his ears back and going straight after the quarterback. They didn't ask him to do it a lot. Um, and, and that's not to say he can't learn how to do it. It's just to say that I think he has a lot, he's going to have to learn how to do it because he didn't have a lot of those reps. And what he did have was a bit more inconsistent to me than Paris Jones and definitely more inconsistent than Darnell Wright. Um, but Broderick Jones, good athlete, good mover in space would be great for the outside zones. Um, so again, I, I'm not going to be, if they stayed at nine and they picked him, I wouldn't be like mad. I wouldn't be like, what the fuck are you thinking, Poles? I would be like, I don't know if he was the best of the three. I don't know that I, I love that, but I mean, I'll, I guess I'll trust, you know. It's not that I couldn't understand what you could ever see in this guy. He'd be, Broderick Jones is more of, in my opinion, in that scenario where you trade down to 17 and you do so hoping that Darnell Wright and PJJ will be there, Paris Jones, Paris Johnson will be there but unfortunately they're not, well, then you say, okay, that's fine. We'll take Broderick Jones, and we're not going to cry about it. And that's how I would feel. If they move back to 17, because um, to me there is a difference between Broderick and PJJ, the same way there's a difference between PJJ and Darnell Wright. But the difference between the three of them is not so much greater to me 
than the value of upgrading pick 53 to pick 32 and getting a third round pick for it. So if you're telling me I'm going to lose out on Wright and PJJ, but I'm going to get Broderick Jones and I'm going to move my second round pick up 20 spots and I'm going to get a third in the exchange, then I'm going to walk out happy with Broderick Jones and my my extra picks. Is that how you feel? Uh, okay, so Broderick Jones to me feels like a Phil Emery pick. Does that sound right to you? A Phil and well, I mean, does he feel do like mean? a he? You know, he could be a Kyle Fuller, a guy with all the talent in the world who does pan out in the NFL and you know becomes like you know a fantastic. So you're specifically for a bit. you're specifically saying in your so your your Phil Emery thing you're talking about where he would love he loved to draft um, raw athletes and just kind of hope everything worked out. He is a he is a bet on talent, and yeah. Broderick Jones is probably I think overall the most physically talented, the most athletically talented lineman in this draft. He is an absolute monster. He he is all strength and speed uh, and explosion. Um, you know the problem is, like you said, uh, you called it inconsistency. I would say he he gets carried away. Uh, like he just stops thinking about the play and he starts driving a guy and then he's off in God knows where and the play is somewhere else. And, you know, it's kind of his fault that the play got <laughs> destroyed. Uh, and one of one of the things about the Bears offensive line last year that happened a lot was we would see three offensive linemen blocking one guy while Justin was being chased by three. Yeah, they, there was uh, not a lot of... Good awareness happened. Uh, Broderick Jones is that kind of guy. A lot at Georgia is he he sees guy and he hits guy and he he's going to win that fight. Uh, but sometimes he's just like he loses sight of the play. And when you when you have guys like that's how Darnell I felt about Wright, that's how I felt about Tevin Jenkins sometimes this year. Yes, too. like it was really cool. It was very good. It made the highlight reels. But every now and then he'd be bulldozing a guy and everybody really re-reacting to him bulldozing a guy. And I would be looking at it and I'd be like, but was that his guy to bulldoze? Yes. Um, yeah, Tevin Jenkins is a is a great, a great, great corollary for Broderick Jones. And I just don't think we need another one of those guys. So I can I mean, acknowledge that Broderick Jones is a first-round talent and I can see someone taking him. Personally, for the Bears, I would rather have my next guy on the list than I would Broderick Jones because I just think it's oh, too much of a risk. Okay, so Broderick isn't tackle number three for you. That's fascinating. Okay, well give me give me tackle number three for you then. I first of all, Skaronsky exists. Okay, well we've put him <laughs> we've put we've put old I I think he's very good. I think if the Bears take him, I'd be pleased as punch. I would just be like, okay, but yeah. he's going to be a guard next yeah. year. Well, we'll put old dagger hands. We'll 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 put him in a separate category. For okay, now. all right. Skaronsky's in another category. Skaronsky's your top your top flex offensive lineman in this draft. But as as tackle, we'll we'll, we'll say out of tackle onlys. So my uh, next guy is Anton Harrison. Oh, Oklahoma. do you like Harrison better than Broderick? All right, sell me on that. I don't know that I'm... <clears> yeah, okay, so Anton Harrison, here's how I would sell him to you. What if I could guarantee you a dude was going to be a top 10 pass-blocking left tackle in the NFL? What if I could just guarantee this guy is going to be that good at pass-blocking? And you, you, you can guarantee me that with Anton I Harrison? Think, I think he is such a stud at pass-blocking. However, oh. however... That's rich. That's rich for my well, blood. 
Well, here's the Guarantee deal. a top 1,000. 1,000 almost exactly pass snaps over the last two years at left tackle. Would you like to know how many pressures he gave up? Four. Three, it was 33. That's that's really low. In well, 1,000. Four, four, four is what I would hope for from a top 10. I don't know. In 1,000, one I, sack. You promised me there would be no math. Um, uno. Uno sacks in 1,000 snaps at left tackle. His technique. I mean, that's pretty good. But to be fair, he... He played in the Big 12 where defenses are even legal. So. Look, I'm, tr- I'm trying to sell you on this guy, right? Okay. His, his technique is by far the most refined in this class, in my opinion. He spins guys. He throws guys. He tosses guys. He uses every trick in the book. He has great strength. I think all of his skills will translate to the NFL, and I think he's going to be a solid pass blocker. However, he, his statistics will tell you that he is a great run-blocking left tackle and from what i saw there's some holes in that game that get covered up by that he, oklahoma so offense. the reason the reason he's number four for for me not number three the reason he's behind broderick jones for me and the reason i think he's not this great run blocker mm-hmm. uh you mentioned technician and that's that's true he's a great technician he does everything right my concern with him is the exact opposite of pretty much every the other guy we talked about it is the physical attributes. I don't know that he has the anchor and the punch and the upper body strength yep. to really stymie guys, and that shows up in run blocking mm-hmm. most of all because obviously you're, you're in run blocking, you're really pushing guys out of the way, and you don't really see him do that. Um, and so I worry. See, to me, I can't guarantee he'll be a top ten pass blocking left tackle mm-hmm. in the NFL, sir, because I don't know that he's got the strength to really handle some bull rushes. You talked about. Will Anderson not being able to bull rush last week. Well, there are yeah. guys who can, and I don't know if Anton Harrison can handle them if they're not if they're long and strong and down to get the friction on. So uh, that concerns me about Anton Harris. I think he's a guy that I love. Like I said, in this in the seventeen thirty two scenario, he's a guy that I like at thirty two. If you've gone and gotten like Elijah Cansey, but to me, he is in the second. He's the start of that second tier of tackles for me, um, where I think they're bet probably going to be late first guys but probably in a sane world or more early to mid second round guys i have a little concern about his functional strength i'll use your words against you functional strength travis well that's what i was saying is i if you look at his advanced stats he looks very good against the run i i do not buy into those because watching him like you said he gets no push in the run game, and I think there's a chance he may never be an average run blocker in the NFL. Yeah, I think his pass game is too good. I think I think he's going to be have just enough strength to pass block. The way he uses what he's got to do that, I have complete confidence in. But if it's important to you that your left side can block the run, can get a push, uh, you're giving that away with Anton yeah, Harrison. That's yeah. Um. So, yeah. so now here's the deal. I agree with you. He is the only guy in my second tier of tackles. Even though Broderick Jones is in the first, I would still be more comfortable putting Anton Harrison in Just there. Just because you're tackle. more comfortable with the competency of his pass blocking at this point? Correct. And there's a chance. There is no... None of these guys has a better chance of busting than Broderick Jones. Right, even though he also has a very good chance of being successful, he's also the guy with the highest chance to be a complete failure. I, in my opinion, I'll give you that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay, so there's only so much risk I could take here. Okay, so so to you, so to you, 
so to for so to you tier one is whatever Skaronsky is mm-hmm. right PJJ lowest in tier one is Broderick Jones and then you have Harrison starting off tier two and you said he's your only tier two guy he's the only guy it. there that's the only guy Bergeron so, starts tier three for me <laughs> Bergeron starts tier three for you okay. yeah I think I would have Bergeron right behind Harrison for me um like so so in this I, and I don't know how many people have read Kurt Vonnegut but say I keep lumping <laughs> these two together but Harrison Bergeron you know I think we read that one and Years ago in England, was it English too? <laughs> Diana Moon glampers with the shotgun and amazing. Yeah, yeah no, I know. Um, what a callback! But I keep saying Harrison Bergeron when I'm talking about these two, and then I was like, wasn't that a, wasn't that a short story? And then I was like, oh yeah, Kurt Vonnegut. Um, anyways, yeah, to me, Harrison and Bergeron are the guys where it's just like if you get that trade with the Steelers or something like it. Or a trade with that. The other that I was thinking is like a trade with the Texans where maybe you get 12 and 33 or whatever for other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the guys that I would target at 33. If they ended up with one of them at 17, that's where I would be like, you know, I understand why you did it, but that does feel like a reach for me. Um, Broderick so, Jones is that guy that I'm kind of only happy with at 17, and then the other guys are, like I said, are guys that I would be happy with if, they, if they, even if they just had to stay at 9 and take them. Mm-hmm. So can you uh, can you guess why I would have Bergeron in tier three if I have Anton Harrison in tier two? Can you can you guess? I mean, to me, I think he's a little sketchier in pass blocking for sure. Yeah, he's the opposite, right, of Anton yeah. Harrison. He is a very strong run blocker. Yeah, he's yeah. Ne- he is unassailable as a run blocker, yeah. but his pass blocking is not good, and he yeah. is fairly immobile. Uh, yeah, so I just I value pass blocking over run blocking to a certain extent, especially okay. with Justin Fields and Deonta Foreman and Khalil Herbert. I like I would rather have a dude who's going to watch Justin's blind side than a dude who gets a better push in the run game, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we've I think we've discussed the tackles. I think we made it clear that our preference for that first pick, wherever it ends up being, would be at nine or seventeen. It definitely should be offensive tackle. Um, I think we both agreed, like I said, the the one scenario where they stay at nine and make a non-offensive tackle pick should be Jalen Carter. Any other scenario where they stay at nine and take someone who's not an offensive tackle will not sit well in my stomach. If they move down to like 17 and 32, like we talked about, there's a little bit more wiggle room for me. Um, but yeah, I think we can, we've made our first round preferences clear, um, if they ended up, whatever they do, if they, and there are still some people who won't let the Jackson Smith and Jigba thing go, um, I will say if they made that pick, I, I would vacillate every 50 seconds between, oh man, Justin Fields is going to die, and oh, but if he doesn't, this is going to be fun, but he's going to die. Well, let's talk about let's talk about this pick a little bit. You know, I get we've we've mentioned Jackson Smith and Jigba enough, but we really haven't talked about him. My problem with the Jackson Smith and Jigba pick is we have two first rounders next year now and who boy the wide receivers in the draft next year are guys I like there are two dudes from Ohio State and two dudes from Texas who I just love uh, I just I don't think it I don't think it stops you from making that pick because you just let you let Darnell Mooney and Chase Claypool walk and then you have DJ Moore on a very reasonable contract you have Jackson Smith and Jigba on a rookie contract, and you would have another guy on a rookie contract. That's a top two wide receiver core, all locked up for years to come. Even as you pay your your quarterback, um, and I see that. I see that. But the problem is, 
are you going to guarantee there's going to be a tackle there next year? I can guarantee there are wide receivers at one of those picks next year, but I cannot tell you that there is a tackle next yeah. year that we should take. Can't tell you there's a guy you can plug and play like Darnell Wright. Yeah. That's for sure. And next year, next year we are trying to win. We are trying yeah. to win a lot well, next then, year. Yeah, and I, I guess the way I would put it, a possible Jackson Smith and Jigba pick is that um, there are bad... Good player, good pick, which is like Darnell Wright. There would be a good player, bad pick, which for me would be Jackson Smith and Jigba. I would be upset about it as a use of resources, but at the same time, I would still be excited about the player acquired. Uh, And then there are cases where you could do um, bad player, bad pick, which I think we both agree would be like if, for instance, they took fucking Lucas Van Ness. Yep. that's where we would be like, I'm not only not excited about the position you have chosen to draft, I'm not excited about the player. Um, feel my rage. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think we've established enough what we want them to do in the first round. I think we're both really hoping, what, however this shakes out, they walk out of that first round. Best case scenario, they walk out of that first round with Darnell Wright. Sure. Um, don't have a ton of time left in our hour. Oh, oh, buddy, we got more to talk. I'm going to keep you here for okay. so long. Yeah, let's do all right. it. All right. all right, so let's talk about... Are we moving you, into round two? You were or? talking about potentially picking 15, 16, or 17, right? Because it seems like, from what we've heard, the Bears want to trade down. They really would prefer to trade down. If they did this thing with the Steelers, let's say we have 17 and 32. We talked about taking tackles there. I'm not comfortable with Broderick Jones. What that does, what pick 17 is, is it's sort of a magic number. Ryan Poles had mentioned that there were exactly 13 players he was comfortable taking in his first tier of guys, and there were no quarterbacks on the list. So you right. do the math. 17 that's leads four quarterbacks. whoever the last guy of that list is, yeah. <laughs> he has one guy left from his tier yeah. one who he could take. Now, a couple of the guys who it could be at 17... Where you would leave that that Harrison uh, maybe until pick 32 would be guys who we've talked about before, Kalaja Kansi and Nolan Smith. So what I want to know is, what if we did that trade back? We got a pick in the teens and we took one of those guys, didn't take a tackle. At that point in the draft, uh, how upset are you? If we've got 32, I'm not that upset until... Uh, Harrison and Bergeron both go in the twenties, and then I'm pooping a little bit. Okay, um, I'm I'm doing some pooping. Yeah, some nervous, some nervous pooping. I'm calling Isaiah Wins agent myself and being like, you know what? <laughs> Do you want to be a Chicago Bear? Um, but yeah, no, I I would be nervous. Uh, but I wouldn't be mad at seventeen. I'd be like, well, I want to see how the board plays out. He must feel fairly confident. Um, but yeah, I mean. Uh, some second round options. Let's move into some second round options. Oh, yeah. Um, that you're interested in. Some guys that you were. Because one of the things I did want to talk about is besides Jalen Carter, who I think is another worldly player, I have seen people mock other defensive linemen to the Bears at number nine. There's You've seen some people doing mm-hmm. Kalijah Cansey. You've seen, God help me, Luca Van Ness. There's a scenario where Tyree Wilson falls, et cetera, et cetera. Jalen Carter is the only guy, the only defensive lineman I'm happy with at nine over an offensive tackle. And I specifically don't really want those other guys precisely because uh, the strength of this draft to me, and it's a very weird draft and it does not have a lot of great position groups, but this is a draft where I think 
there are going to be great, they're going to be very good, at least, very promising defensive linemen yes. available in round two. That is the the one position I truly think you can wait and address in round two. Now, I don't know that there is, in round two, there's going to be that one pure pass-rushing three technique that I know Eberflus would really want to run his scheme. But I think there's some guys that are going to be great one techniques. I think Kenu Benton from Wisconsin is a really promising player. Um but there, there are there, there are edge guys. There's a lot of guys in round two that I'm really interested. Isaiah Foskey is an edge that I'm really interested in in round two. Um, oh, to speak more about Foskey. You don't like Foskey? You made a face. I, I have not. I have not looked uh, uh, at Foskey much. So hype him up. You haven't looked into Isaiah Foskey. Okay. Well, hold on. Let me let me pull up. Give me your stats. Okay, yeah, on. so so while you're looking that up, yeah, I think there's a range of dudes. And my question to you earlier this week was, all right, let's say we have 32. What defensive lineman isn't a reach at that pick, right? Who? But there's kind of this group of dudes that at nobody 32? agrees on. Um, and it's going to be from 32 to 64 where all these guys go. But I could not tell you if... Jervin Dexter is going to go at the end of the first round, or if he's going to go at the end of the second. I couldn't tell you if Keon White is going to go somewhere in the middle of the first or somewhere in the late second. I would be very surprised to see Dexter go before pick 50. I'm going to be honest. That guy did not... There's a lot of smoke, but yeah, okay, so the guys we're going to... I've been looking at, the guys I've been looking at are mostly dudes with RAS scores over 9, because I just think Poles is going for those guys, right? So... Um, okay. Well, if so, in this scenario, and I don't know how much time we want to spend on this pick 32 scenario, because it'd be hilarious if we talked about it all episode and then it never happened. It but just doesn't occur. If you yeah. get a pick, if you get a pick in the 30s and 40s, I do think the guy that they probably look for, um, in that range is Adabor, Adatomiwa from Northwestern, who is a guy who Northwestern kind of used him as an edge, but I think everyone agrees he's best going to be a three technique in the NFL. Um, super fast, super quick. Uh, definitely a guy that you could see having a better NFL career than he ever had college career just because he'd be used correctly. Um, and he's a guy that he set the combine on fire and he, for a while, I mean, Mel Kuyper moved him into his top 15 prospects, which to me is insane, but I do think he is a top 50 prospect and ah. that's the perfect range for a guy like that. He's very sneaky. Uh, th- this is a guy who had maybe the worst luck I've ever seen of a defensive lineman in college. His stats look so pedestrian, but he was so close to like 15 sacks. He was right in the quarterback's grill as they threw the ball away or as they threw it on a slant. And it wasn't a case where it was like, oh, guys were in coverage for a while and he made it in. No, he was the reason the quarterback was making the bad pass. He just just couldn't get the sack. Before the ball got out, but I, like, and there are guys like um, shoot Thule who we're going to talk about because I love Thule. I don't know why he's going so late in these rounds, uh, in these mock drafts. That's a guy who I think might end up sneaky for early in the second round, and people will be like, "What?" And then they'll be like, "Oh, he just got infinity sacks." But uh, Aratomiwa, he could have had the same season. He, he was yeah. just an inch away from all of these sacks, and Northwestern was just such a bad team everywhere else. He wasn't getting any help, guys. He was doing it himself. He was winning on his own. So that's a guy who I would love to have. Yeah, like I said, it, if if they made this Steelers trade and they got 17 and 32 and I was able to draft my ideal two players at those two spots realistically based on who's, who might be there at 17 and 32, 
if they had 17 Darnell Wright, 32 Adetomiwa, I the rest of the draft almost doesn't even matter to me at that point. I'd be like, boom, those are two two guys that I think could fill their two biggest needs. But um, anyways, you asked about Foskey. Um, yeah. He went to Notre Dame, uh, has 25 sa- – or has, sorry, um, 23 sacks the last two years. Okay. Um, solid against the run. Doesn't have – he's got great speed and he's got really good length. Um, I would – he's a kind of guy like Tyree Wilson that we talked about last week that does not necessarily – mostly just uses those physical tools, does not have a great toolbox necessarily yet, doesn't have all the, the moves, but – um, like we talked about with Tyree, that's the kind of guy that you love to take in the second round. Um, yes. And, and one thing I do like about him, too, is he really knows how to uh, – and it becomes more and more important every year as we see more and more mobile quarterbacks. He is a guy who does not just rush upfield, who does not get beat inside. Um, he knows how to – not just to rush the passer, but to collapse the pocket, to keep contained, to, to squeeze quarterbacks so that they don't run around him, they don't get around the edge. Um and I think that's something that Eberflus really loves. So Foskey's a guy that I love as a round two option. Uh, another dude I think could be there in round two, and that I think the Bears could see uh, as an edge or as a three technique is uh, Tuli Tuipoludo or Tuipoloto. Tuipoloto. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, Tuli. USC. <laughs> yeah, Tuli is. I'm, I'm not sure. I still like to me. I'd, I'd probably ask him to bulk back up a little bit and play three mm-hmm. technique, but I could also see him as successful as an edge. But he would fit what you keep talking about, which is yep. that the Bears seem to be trying to create a, de- a defensive line of interchangeable parts up and down, um, and he'd be a good dude for that for sure. I truly just uh, I don't understand uh, some guys. I've seen him mocking him in the middle of the third round. This guy has explosion. I, he has speed. He has he has hands. That carved dudes. I mean, he he doesn't have the full bag of tools, but my God, he has like just the the physical talent, uh, just up and down the board. Um, and I don't I don't think he did combine stuff. There's no RAS score for him. I bet if he did, it'd be a ten. The dude freaks me out. He could play inside and out. There's uh, there are a couple guys. You know, we're going to talk about a few more who will play inside and out, which I again think the Bears are looking for. It, this guy is so undervalued, man. If he's there at 53, uh, I would almost take him over Whipler, who is, like, my personal favorite guy to pick in this draft. Well, I'm glad you brought up Whipler because yeah. I think we all agree that, I mean, the big focus has been on tackle, and that's the one that I think we both agree that people need to address in the first round. I think we both really want the Bears to draft a center in this draft. They need a center-guard hybrid. They, they need an interior lineman in this draft early. But one of the other position groups, like I said, this is a weird draft, and there's only a couple positions that I think this draft is really deep in. Unfortunately, one of them is running back, which it isn't all that useful to them. <laughs> yeah. um, the other's tight end, where we both agree that drafting one high would be very stupid. Uh, this is a deep center draft, in my opinion. And so you, you've seen a lot of mention of, of Whipler in the second round or Tipman in the second round. Um, and to be clear, if that happened, I would be fine with it, and I would be really happy with what it said, because if they, if there was a scenario where the Bears' first two picks were tackle and center, I would be like, thank God yeah. the Bears finally have a general manager who, even if it's not necessarily the best player available scenario, is prioritizing building around his quarterback before he prioritizes building around his defense. But... Uh, if we do want to go talk about where you can get best value in this draft, I actually think that's one that you could wait till pick 64 or even to pick 103 in the, when they lead off the fourth round to draft a center. Because there are some guys that I think could be available in round yep. four 
like Ricky Stromberg from Arkansas uh, and Juice Scruggs from Penn State. Those are guys that I like, too. This is a deep... It, it, it's funny. It's not the deepest guard draft, in my opinion, unless you're counting Skaronsky and also Cody Mock from North Dakota State as as guards, um, which yeah. you totally could do. That makes the class a little stronger. But as far as pure guards, there's not that many that I really like. But as far as guys that are primarily centers but have some guard versatility, there are some dudes there. Um, guys that you could move right and use in a couple different spots in your offensive line uh, in, in the interior in a pinch. There's a couple of those dudes. So I actually am fine. Like I'm not going to complain at all if they use one of those second-round picks on Whipler or Tipman or John Michael Schmitz if he should fall. If that's what they're doing, great. I'm all, I, I'm never going to complain about over-committing to your offensive line when you have a quarterback like Justin Fields. But I do think that's one place where they could afford to wait. And I think the value, if they stay with pick 53, if they stay with 61, if they stay with 64, I think the value at those three spots, absolutely. The depth, the meaty part of this draft is going to be defensive linemen in that second round. That should be the primary focus in that round. And I, I have a feeling with the head coach they have, it probably is going to be. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, you mentioned Stromberg. Stromberg seems a little bit like a fait accompli uh, kind of guy for polls. He Very just up. seems like the, a polls guy. The ass jumps out, yeah. The, the RAS is insane uh, on Stromberg, and I, I just think it's too poetic to go from Mustafer, who everybody hates at this point, being the worst RAS score in, like, yeah. what, 20 years or something, to but, Stromberg. Okay. Who just so, dominates RAS. For people who are listening who, are, who don't know, and we've mentioned the RAS score a lot. So the RAS score is relative athletic score. And it takes everyone's publicly available measurements for NFL players going back to like the 80s, I think. Um, every publicly available weight, height, 40-yard dash time, three-cone drill time, etc. It's at all these different ways. And out of a out of a score, out of a highest score of 10 out of 10, they grade these prospects. Um, and to see how athletic they are. And almost every person that, that Ryan Poles has drafted, signed, etc., has an RAS score in the 8s and the 9s out of 10. Yep. Um, and Sam Mustafer, the Bears' late center... Um, <laughs> late. <laughs> I guess he's not dead. He just played like it. R.I.P. Um, Sam. Uh, so I have to I have to double-check every single time this because it looks like a typo. You think it's broken. So out of a score of 10... Uh, Sam Mustafer's RAS was 0.85, less than a 1. <laughs> that was how, how how athletic, I guess really how not athletic this man was. He yeah. could not have been less of a pole scheme fit if he tried. So yeah, going from that to Ricky Stromberg, what did Ricky Stromberg... Is it like 9.92? It's very high. It's uh, Let's see here. Ricky Strat, no, not quite that. Eight point four five. Okay, so, all right. But yeah, very athletic, very good mover, good in the outside zone, good in pin and pull stuff. Um, yeah, Ricky Stromberg is a dude that I think you could see being there at pick one hundred three, and the Bears could be there. <coughs> Juice Scruggs from Penn State, another guy with that guard center versatility. Um, I think best spot for him is center, but could play some guard and not kill you there. Um, so, yeah, I, when you talk about where to find value in this draft, I do think the third, fourth round is a good place for the, the center guy that you're looking for. I think the second round, those two second-round picks, is going to be the sweet spot for defensive line. So, I think, yeah, I think if Whipler's there at 53 and we don't draft him at 53, I do think that he's just saying, like, I'm just going to take Stromberg in the fourth. Who cares? Yeah, I think he's, uh, I, th- I think, I mean, and, and 
you never know how much to read into the smoke screen of pre-draft visits and stuff. But everything I've heard, and they 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 talked, they loved talked to Juice Scruggs, I believe, at the Senior Bowl. I think he was there. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but they they definitely had a, a top thirty visit with him. They definitely looked into Stromberg, um, and I, and those are guys that you, I think are going to be third fourth round picks. So there is we, they need to get a center. I do think this is the one place where I'm not going to freak out if they haven't taken one um, by round four. Now if they take one after that, I'm going to start to get a little nervous. Um, but yeah. if at 103 it's it's Juice Scruggs or Ricky Stromberg, I'm going to be like, you know what, let's roll with it. Those guys might not be day one starters. Cody Whitehair might start the season as your starting center, but I don't think he ends the season. As uh, yeah, we've got center. Whitehair, we've got Lucas Patrick, and I think both are still viable centers. And But you want to bring in a young guy to compete with those two because both of them have their issues, right? You want to have yeah. the young guy there, maybe ready for next year or something. Okay, okay, so we talked about defensive linemen who might be there at 32, but we have this little pocket of picks. 53, 61, and 64. If we're stuck there, and you're saying we're going to take defensive linemen, there are a few guys who I've seen mocked to the Bears a lot that I wanted to talk about. One is Jervin Dexter Sr., who I already mentioned once. The other is Derek Hall out of Auburn, and B.J. Ojolari out of LSU, who may not be there, uh, but I have seen him fall there in some mocks. Uh, Jervin Dexter, to me, seems like a polls guy. Super high RAS score. Um... He he is the answer to a very weird question I've never asked, which is, what if your defensive tackle uh, was extremely observant? Uh, what if your defensive tackle's best skill was spatial awareness? What would that look like? Uh, and that's Jervin Dexter. He is amazing against the run, specifically because he just knows where the running back is. He always maneuvers his offensive lineman into the hole. He stops the run. So if the Bears want to stop the run, I think Jervin's a great pick. Uh, But he does kind of what you would expect that sort of guy to do on passing downs, and he gets caught looking at the person with the ball, the quarterback, and sometimes he tries to, like, set up a path to the quarterback before he charges, and I'm not sure that's what you want from a defensive tackle. He certainly has the talent to get to the quarterback, but he just very often thinks too much, which is just very strange for a defensive tackle. Uh, the other guy I've seen, Derek Hall. I've seen Derek Hall go into the Bears multiple times. I, I do not like Derek Hall at all. Uh, he just seems like um, one of those guys whose skills isn't, just isn't, won't translate to the NFL. He's not. He's fast, but he's not fast enough. He's strong, but he's constantly getting stonewalled by other SEC defender or offensive linemen, and it's just like I don't see any of his tools being overpowering enough to do anything in the NFL. Yeah, he and well, I have bad news for you, though. He's they just had a top thirty visit with him, and he's one of those guys. That's got, a lot of people are saying is a late. I've seen a couple. I've seen him sneaking into the late first. No, I have. I have. You are like Cassandra. You are warning the people, and they're not listening. Um, I'm very concerned. Yeah, I mean, Derek. Yeah, one of those guys that sort of like a dollar store Lucas Van Nest. You, you yes, see, he is. You see that he's built like a Greek god, and you're just like, okay, but it's because he's always wearing the jersey, but he's showing off his six pack. You know, he like rolls it up. There's projection. There's a lot of projection <clears throat> to it. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, but the other guy, the other guy I mentioned, Ojolari, he's a guy what? who looks like him but has elite pass rushing ability. 
But I have to say, I mean, like I said about Lucas Van Nest, Lucas Van Nest is not a guy that I would hate in the second round because in the second round you bet on that. And Derek Hall's not a guy that I would hate in the second round. I do, th- I do think you bet on that athleticism there. I'm not saying he'd be my top pick, but like, but yeah, I, I think there's regardless. I think there there's depth. There are intriguing dudes. That 53, 61, 64 range is going to be a good place to double, mm-hmm. maybe even triple dip in the defensive line waters. I think you're going to get some players there. I really do. I think that's where the strength of this draft is. I think that's where the best value in this draft is. It's is that fifty to that pick fifty to pick ninety range defensive line. So, I mean, I agree one hundred percent because some of these guys we've talked about at the fall. I I haven't even been able to talk about Keon White. I would love Keon White at thirty two, even if I, that's a pick we had. That, that dude is attending, a monster. That man is attending the draft. I, when I watch film of him, I understand why you would think, yeah, this guy's a late first-round pick, undoubtedly. He he has monstrous strength. The number of times I've seen him split a center and a guard and throw them off. There are multiple plays where he will grab an offensive lineman and throw them into another offensive lineman to get to the quarterback. He has pretty decent edge-rushing ability. I, like... He would fit what I think the Bears are trying to do very well right now. I haven't seen any mocks showing him going in the first round, but it wouldn't surprise me, yeah. which is I mean, the big it- deal here. Like, I don't, there's a, this group of defensive linemen who could go anywhere from the end of the first round to the beginning of the third, and I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, yeah there's that, yeah, it's true. Well, and there's just so many. Yeah, like, there, there really is. There's only like Will Anderson, Tyree Wilson, Jalen Carter. Nolan Smith, Kalijah Cansey, and uh, Van Ness. Van Ness, Miles Murphy. Those are the guys that I am like 100% sure are going to be first round picks. After that, there's a lot of guys where you could tell me are going to go pick 22 or pick 62. And I'd be like, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. So, yeah, um, and that's where I think that's. Nose tackle where, out of Michigan. Uh, Mazai. Mazai? Is it really pronounced Mazai? Uh, I think so. Oh, okay. Maybe. But I've seen, like you said, I've seen him go at pick 20, pick 21, and then I've seen him not even on a a two-round box draft. It's, yeah, I have no idea how this is going to play out. Um, And no one ever does, but I really think even this year especially, uh, it really is going to come down to what you, your team is specifically looking for and what traits you value. Because there are going to be dudes that are somebody's 50th dude in their big board that goes in round one. There are going to be dudes that you get at pick 60 who some people thought were round one. It's going to be a weird draft in that regard. Um, did you do Did you do a mock as a, as a final send-off? Or do we want to like get mocks out into the record? Yeah, go for it. Okay. I, now are these, this is important, is this a prediction of what I think will happen? Or is this what I want to happen, best case scenario? I went with what I want to happen. Okay, we'll go with what we want to Our so, perfect draft. Okay. I used the Pro Football Focus mock draft generator. Um, and I did make the Steelers trade I talked about. I traded pick 9 and pick 53 to get pick 17, pick 32, and pick 80. So I upgraded, I downgraded my 1, I upgraded my 2, and I got a 3. And with those picks, at 17, I took Darnell Wright. Let it happen. Very optimistic. So shall, it, so shall it be written, so shall it be done. Yeah. At number 32, I did take Toby from Northwestern. I, I would love it at 32. Uh, at 61, I took Nick Herbig, who we haven't even mentioned, but I think is a solid edge from Wisconsin. Just another one of those guys that I don't know is going to be a star. But 
productive starter. I definitely I, think so. Right there in round two, there's there's so absolutely nothing wrong with Herbig. Nothing. So, yeah, I, like, I would take those him. dudes. But you could also put in a guy like Foskey there. You could put in a guy like Derek Hall. I know you're wary, but at 61, I'm okay. Don't with put it. Derek Hall in there. Uh, at 64, I did take Luke Whipler. I didn't wait for Strongberg because I mean, at 64, you got to do it. Um, at 80, I picked another guy I didn't even mention yet. Isaiah McGuire from Missouri. I think he's a solid, promising edge guy. Then another guy that you could tell me is going pick 45 or pick 85, and I'd be like, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, at pick 103, I took Luke Schoonmaker from Michigan, one of the real tight ends in this draft. We talk about how we respect our real tight ends. Yeah. Uh, I took Luke Schoonmaker at pick 133. I took Chandler Zavala from North Carolina State, another guard guy, an interior dude, solid athlete. I think a guy Poles would like, has some versatility. Uh, at pick 136... I, I did, I, would you believe it? I double-dipped at center. I took Juice Scruggs because he was there. I did. Why um, not? Why not? I, mean, I, I think he's somewhere there. Uh, in the fifth round, at pick 148, I took Bryce Ford Wheaton from West Virginia. I don't know that he can do anything other than run fast, but in the fifth round, that's just what you're looking for. Uh, at picks, and then in round seven, somehow, I ended up with Yasir Abdullah, who I've seen go in some of these mocks in the fourth, fifth round. So, again... Great deal from Louisville. I got Yasir Abdullah. And at pick 258, I took uh, Thomas Incombe from Central Michigan, another edge rusher. So I, I think the Bears should go heavy in the trenches in this draft. I think it's a good draft to go heavy in the trenches. That's what I did. Uh, and if they do that exact draft, you can all thank me later. Uh, there you go. Okay, so I, you know how I feel about fifth-round picks and later. Uh, that's, that's not something I'm going to entertain. Monopoly money. You, yeah. you want to do, do a first four mock? Yep. Yeah. So for me, when I thought about it, uh, just to keep my heart from exploding, uh, I would almost rather they just stayed at nine and took Darnell right there, uh, and did not make me want to die. <coughs> and partially, traits. All right. Partially, that is because Coward. I I think they have enough picks there already in the late Risk second is round. Part of the game, if you want to sit in that I, chair, Mister. <laughs> I look if they did it here. I'm going to give you both. I'll give you both how I feel. All right, Darnell right at nine, fifty three would be Whipler, and at that point I would probably check out and just uh, go beat off somewhere uh, because I'm so happy. Uh, <laughs> you said you said offensive line and dipped. I respect. That. Yes, exactly. Right. Um, and then it would be German Dexter at sixty one, and then sixty four. I think you might honestly be the person in this entire draft process who is the highest on Jervin Dexter. I'm the guy that, like, I'd be okay with at 64, and any time before that I'd be like, I don't know, there are probably better defensive linemen available. But yep. you're all in on this, man. I'm not. He just, I, I mean, I'm all just, in on him in the 60s. Did he yes. just, did he just, did he pop up a lot uh, when you were watching Anthony Richardson? Was he just, like, also there? Is that how you fell in love with this man, or... No, I just, uh, this more speaks to me not believing that the other guys who I like better will okay, be there. Will be there, okay. Yep, and I think, um, I, and at 64, it's going to be, you know, I had Ojolari, but that's because he's a pass rush specialist. I love it if he, man, I would love it if Ojolari fell the way to 64. And I wonder if, I wonder if he falls. Uh, I mean, he had, he had a bad testing. He, he did. He had, he did. He had a bad offseason as His well. His RAS score is very deceptive because he was injured. Yeah. Which I mean, why did they let him run? And why did they let this man run with a bad hammy? What I do is not, his agent thinking. It's not I do what not I would know. do. But okay, here's the deal: if they traded for seventeen, I don't think Darno Wright is there. I think other teams value him 
just as highly as we do. We, there's been a lot of smoke about Darnell lately. So at that point, 17, you know, I think Kalijah Kansi's going to be there or Nolan Smith is going to be there. And I think you take either one of those guys at 17 and then you make me want to die until we get to pick 32, where hopefully Anton Harrison is there and we've got a left tackle. We can move Brax over to right tackle. I'm feeling pretty good about this draft at that point. That would leave us with 61, 64, and 80. At that point, I'm comfortable waiting until 80 or waiting until 103 to get Stromberg. So, yeah, again, we're getting into those late 60s, and now that we have Cansey at the three technique, we're probably looking at one of those big one techs, right? We're looking yeah. at your your buddy out of Wisconsin, Keanu. If they um, ended up with Cansey and Benton, that's I'd be excited about that defensive line. Yep. I would. There's some serious potential there. Yeah, so there's a lot of things that the Bears could do to make me happy, but all of them end with some first-round pick getting me a fucking tackle. If they don't, we're going to be on this podcast so fucking upset. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be I mean, bad, again, man. the only scenario where it's not is if they make a trade and they end up with a pick in the 30s and somehow Harrison or Bergeron are there. Yeah. Um, that's about the... And, and if they did use that first pick then on... Because if you got Cansey, uh one of Kurt Vonnegut's boys, Harrison or Bergeron at 32... And then a guy like Benton in the second round. I'm rolling with that. But yeah. I would much rather prefer my scenario where you get 17 and 32 and 17 becomes Darnell Wright and 32 becomes Tony. Much as I love Cansey, as excited as I'd be about Cansey, I would feel better about Darnell Wright. I really yeah. would. Yeah, I mean, like I said, my, my number one choice here is just stay at nine and pick Darnell Wright for the love of God and just let me go to sleep happy. You know, I won't even, I'm not, I'm just going to bed right after nine. You know, we're going to yeah. sign off of this, That's this right. podcast. That's and great, yeah. Whatever. One thing you folks will learn about Travis, he's a sleepy fellow. He likes his, but he likes to sleep. I, I like so, to sleep peacefully, yeah. He likes to sleep peacefully, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good place to end. We've made our predictions, we've made our hopes, we've we've set our dream, hopes and dreams out into the world. Uh, we'll see if Ryan Poles crushes them. Um, but yeah, we'll next week. Yeah, we won't. You won't be. You won't be listening to us live because mm. this shit's got to upload, um, and Travis has to magic it and make it appear wherever podcasts are sold the next day. Which, speaking of, oh. Travis did technology wise. Um, and if you're listening to this, you've probably already figured it out. But there are, there are other – we're no longer just on Spotify and Apple. We're, we're on the Googles. We're on a couple of other places. So wherever podcasts are, are to be found, you can probably find us. So yes, and, and if not, please tweet at Kyle and tell him what the hell the name of whatever you listen yeah, to a absolutely. podcast whatever is. Whatever the service is, let me know. Yeah, and of course this, that Twitter account, again, is at start Kyle, but the L is an I. Uh, and now you can actually tell that. Start Kai E. Orton. Uh, find me. Tell me. Vent to me. Um, but yeah, we will. We'll see you guys next week. And when you will hear, uh, will be a couple days later next week. It'll be probably drop on Friday because Thursday night we will be trying to live record our reactions to this draft as it happens. So yeah, I'll see you then. All right. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Go Bears. Yeah, see you.